What we did most recently was we did an individual patient data meta-analysis. So we tried to pool data from all adolescent knee pain cohorts across the world. And we pulled data from 1,200 adolescents. And basically what we showed was that at 12 months, so a year later, about 50% of adolescents with knee pain were continuing to have pain at follow-up. And they had deficits in sports-related disability. So that is quite a, a relatively long-standing complaint. Knee pain in adolescence can be tricky to manage. It can often last a little while and it can be tricky finding the balance for younger patients as to how much sport to participate in and how much to pull back. Well, today we had Jannard Holden. Now, Jannard's just an individual participant data meta-analysis on knee pain in adolescence. So she was the perfect person to talk to about this. And in this study, they had 1,281 patients in the episode, we covered things like prognostic factors, how long the pain tends to last, that sports can actually be protective, and how we might interpret this data to help not only with our diagnosis, but our management of these patients and this condition. My name is Michael Risk, and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Janard, and thank you for joining us. No problem at all. We're going to talk about knee pain in adolescence, and you've done a fair bit of research in this area, particularly the difference between PFP and OSD. Could you share with us your research? What was the process and what came of that research? Sure thing. Well, I think that the first thing to say is that patellofemoral pain, uh, so PFP and OSD, Osgood-Slatter's disease, are the two most common diagnoses that we see in the adolescent population in terms of knee pain. So recently, some of the research that I, I've been doing has been looking at the prognosis of these two conditions. I think anecdotally, we hear, especially for Osgood-Slatter, that it's going to be self-limiting. It will resolve quite quickly. We did a survey of 270 healthcare practitioners. And I think 60% of them said that they would expect kids to be back in sport pain-free within six months. So that sounds pretty good. What we've kind of shown uh, within a retrospective study of kids diagnosed in orthopedic department, that at a median of four years, 60% still had knee pain. And just now a paper in press in the orthopedic journal of sports medicine, which showed about 40% still had knee pain at follow-up. We were interested in looking at the prognostic factors for that. So one of the things that we looked at was imaging findings at baseline and whether or not they were correlated with if the kids had pain at follow-up. So what we actually found was that those who had less severe imaging findings at baseline were less likely to have pain at follow-up. That's tackling some of the preconceived notions about Osgood's ladder, at least. And then with regards to patellofemoral pain, I think it's a little bit more accepted that this is a relatively long-standing pain complaint. Michael Rathliff, one of my colleagues, has done a lot of work in that area trying to disambiguate that condition. But what we did most recently was we did an individual patient data meta-analysis. So we tried to pool data from 
all adolescent knee pain cohorts across the world. And we pulled data from 1,200 adolescents. And basically what we showed was that at 12 months, so a year later, about 50% of adolescents with knee pain were continuing to have pain at follow-up and they had deficits in sports-related disability. So that is quite a, a relatively long-standing complaint. What we could see within that was that there were some factors associated with a uh, greater risk of both pain and and disability at follow-up. So the main things were a lower health-related quality of life, female sex, it wasn't a very strong factor, but it was associated. Then the typical characteristics of pain severity, so a higher frequency of pain, a higher intensity of pain, they were all associated. The other thing that we actually see is that participating in sport may be contradictory. It was protective particularly in relation to sports-related disability, which probably makes a little bit more sense. So I think there's some of the main things that we've looked at in relation to the prognosis. The other thing that I will mention is that it might be a little bit different in terms of these characteristics for patellofemoral pain versus OSD. Again, we just had another cohort study published in PLUS One, so it was a five-year follow-up. And it was of all adolescents with anterior knee pain and, and other knee pain complaints. But what we showed in that was that if you had pain in more than one location, so if you had knee pain plus maybe heel pain or shin pain, groin pain, you were more likely to report pain five years later. And this, this was actually in their early 20s at this point. So they, they were in early adulthood, quite a high proportion continued to have pain and having more than one pain location at baseline was associated with that. So I think one of the interesting things is that we don't typically see that pattern or that presentation in the kids with Oscar's ladder. It seems to be a lot more localized. It's, it's a very load related pain condition. And we don't see as much of a predisposition for them to go on to develop pain in other regions as we, we have done in patellofemoral pain. I have so many questions. Can I take you back to the imaging you mentioned the severity of imaging. What were you actually looking at or what was seen on the images that then kind of correlated to the outcome? What, what did you see there? So Osgood Slatter is, it's a clinical diagnosis and that's how it was made in that study. So that means that basically the kids presented with pain on the tibial tuberosity, pain on palpation of the tibial tuberosity. So we didn't use imaging to confirm the diagnosis. So typical findings on imaging include like cartilage swelling, fragmentation of the apophysis. We see also swelling of the patellar tendon, maybe Doppler signal in the patellar tendon. So these were some of the characteristics we were looking at. What we found was that the kids who didn't have any of these characteristics, they were the ones with the best prognosis. We also saw uh, associated bursitis. There's a couple, the deflavus classification is an ultrasound imaging classification that we used what that kind of indicates to me is the kids that had this clinical diagnosis of Osgood's ladder but didn't present with imaging findings. Maybe they're a little bit earlier on in their presentation. Perhaps we've caught it a little bit earlier and been able to give them some advice and activity modification where they haven't gotten to the more severe point. I think if, if you're getting to the point where the kids have had pain for a really long time, it becomes a lot more difficult and challenging. We didn't look at the pain duration, but that would be my take on it, that they were probably either less severe or maybe earlier on in their presentation. Hmm. That's really significant in the current narrative for health professionals, because what we're seeing with, say, a 40 to 50 year old shoulder image or a back pain image, 
is the negative correlation. In this case, you're saying that when you could see that on imaging, it was linked to a not as good outcome or a, a longer pain presentation? Yeah, it was, it was a, not, a, a not as good an outcome at 24 months follow-up. So they were less likely to report pain at that point. So it is very interesting. And I will say caution, we are trying to validate this in a, in a second cohort because it was an exploratory study. And, and that also comes back to what you're saying about shoulder pain and back pain. Talofemoral pain is very similar to them, where we don't have a clear pathology necessarily, whereas Osgood Slatter it appears to be a little bit more clear in terms of the presentation that we see on imaging. It's very, very localized. Those with patellofemoral pain have more kind of diffuse pain, spreading pain. So I do think that there's quite distinct differences. And my take is that it is because of this very localized presentation, we have a clear pathology. So Osgood Slatter is related or thought to be related, at least what we, we know now, to the, the load on the tibial tuberosity during maturation. So that's very, very distinct compared to other pain conditions that we see both in this population and in adults. Do you interpret that any further as far as what we might do in a clinical setting? Does that lead you to think maybe we should image that if we're suspecting it earlier and that would guide treatment or more something the other way where if they're having persistent symptoms at that point, I may want to image. I think that's a really challenging question because this is, as I said, it's, it's preliminary research. So I wouldn't be saying we should be imaging all kids with, with Osgood Slatter at this point. Hmm. Maybe if there, there is persistent symptoms at that point, you might want to. Of course, it's going to depend on clinicians' access to ultrasound and other types of imaging. But I think, you know, there's also this thing where kids with Osgood Slatter, they can have an, an ununited ossicle, which means basically a fragment of the bone sitting within the tendon. So again, at 24 months follow-up, we saw that we had like six kids who had this ossicle. And that might be, at least some of the other research indicates that might be related to longer term pain. And um, mm. again, the research in this area is not super good or strong. It's definitely an involving research area, but that is from what we kind of know now that that could be linked. So I will caution against using imaging on all kids. Again, we did it, one of the studies that, that we did, Christian Ling was my um, student who led that looking at the management, interviewing healthcare practitioners. And a lot of them said, again, that you, you they don't necessarily use imaging to confirm the diagnosis, but rather actually to rule out other things, as well as potentially as a mechanism to alleviate concern from parents. And that was a really interesting finding from that study, because oftentimes when we're dealing with adolescents, it's not just the kid we need to treat, it's their parents and the family and the social constructs that they are living in as well. That becomes very important because it's very, very different compared to adults. Yeah, that's a really good clinical pearl there to think about, almost as if the image in this case could provide a positive narrative for the patient and the parents by ruling out other more serious pathology. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to take you to this um if they had pain in two locations, that that, that would indicate a, a worse outcome and, and around five years, I think you mentioned. What, what did you make of that? Yeah, so that's really interesting. So what we could see was if the kids had more than just knee pain. So this was a cohort of kids with knee pain and some of them happened to have pain in other locations. 
um, then they were more likely to present with long-term pain at follow-up if they had pain in more than one location. The other thing that we saw in that paper was that those who only had knee pain at baseline actually were more likely to transition into a state of pain in more locations at five-year follow-up. So it's this concept of pain precedes pain. So Again, some of the research that we've done, we've looked at things like pain sensitivity and, and widespread pain sensitivity. It could be that, you know, these kids have altered pain thresholds after having a very long duration of pain, which might predispose them to subsequent pain complaints. It could also be that these are, are the kids who are super active. So one of the profiles that we might see is kids who have knee pain, but also other maybe non-severe but lower extremity pain complaints because they're very very active and they're continuing to be very active so i think it's it, it can be a little bit difficult to determine cause and effect here because there's a lot of different factors that could precede the instance of the first pain that could also be risk factors for other pain complaints but as well as that then what happens after they get pain and how that might influence whether or not they then develop new pain complaints so I guess whilst it's emerging literature, there's a couple of tips here that if there were pain in multiple sites, if they had pain at baseline, and if they had some of those findings on imaging, that they may have a poorer outcome. If we switch to management, whilst the literature is not strong yet, do you interpret anything from that, from your findings and how you might change your management? Does this change how you might manage this condition? I think the thing that you need to be aware of is a lot of these kids report stopping sport due to pain. And I think by the time they've stopped sport, they probably have had pain for a pretty long time. And mm -hmm. um, like I also said, sport was actually protective, especially for longer term function for problems running. A lot of these kids end up reporting having problems running, which if we think from a public health perspective is a very basic activity that, that a 19 year old should be able to do. So I think early on, they might still be playing sport and actually reluctant or resistant to stop or reduce that or modify that or else they could face difficulties with that with their coaches with their teammates with their family lots of different reasons so that's some considerations you might have to take into account for those who are super active and and still participating in sport to a high level early on then if you're getting kids who have got you know a little bit more severe pain they're a little bit later in their presentation they've already stopped uh sport they've as a result, potentially lower health related quality of life. These are the ones who, who are at high risk of actually continuing in this cycle and continuing to have pain. So one thing you probably want to look at there is both the, the functional deficits that we see as a result of being out of sport and having long term pain, as well as how we can support them to gradually return to sport, expose them to sport. We do know that a certain amount of these kids also have psychological factors that can Im influence both their pain experience, but also their prognosis. That was another prognostic factor I didn't mention was anxiety and depression. And um, so actually helping them return to sport as a mechanism, both to improve their anxiety surrounding their pain, but also maybe some of the implications that they had from dropping out of sport, loss of identity, things like that. So I think the longer pain has, the less likely it is to relate to kind of the initial loading and it becomes more 
complicated and we can benefit from taking a broader approach to management and considering all the social psychological factors within the management. My last question there is with that picture you've painted, I'm imagining a bell curve now. So sport is protective. So we definitely want patients to continue to participate. If they had several of those other findings that correlated to a poor outcome, is there any cutoff point that you've seen in the literature or that you would interpret that we would say, we need to pull back to this level? Cutoff points are are difficult and dangerous. I think it needs to be done on a case-by-case basis. The other thing is, is the pain management. So when, when kids are in a lot of pain, then it probably makes sense to advise them to reduce or modify the activity they're doing. Some of these kids are doing two to three sports. Is it possible to suggest that they focus on one sport for a short amount of time or that they pull out of match day while they're doing their rehabilitation? So I think it's difficult to have a hard and fast cut point, but I do think considering within that presentation, and how severe the pain might be, if it makes sense to advise them to reduce their sport without completely taking them out of it, if they are still participating. Yeah, that was perfect. That's a wonderful review of the literature that you've done. And I just wanted to say thank you for contributing and thank you for your time today, Janan. No problem at all.